Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. That's really the theme today when you look at the Gospel of John chapter 6. I invite you to open your Bibles there. I want to focus in today on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and and really that sufficiency centers upon the very death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In this life there is no escaping. There is no escaping eternity without having a personal abiding faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a pastor for many, many years, it was always discouraging as people would come along and there would be this this desire or interest to follow Jesus and to know Jesus. And then over time, you begin to see that start to wane. Things happen in the lives of people and and things happen and they, they begin drifting away. There is a natural drift that occurs in the lives of most people. And that's, that's understandable. We understand because of all the things that have happened in our lives, the, the context that we grow up in, there is this, there's this natural tendency to drift. Yesterday was a beautiful day. I, I decided to go saddle a horse and, and have some horse therapy myself. And, and I got on old Zeke, a, a, a big old Bayrone gelding, and... and um, uh, climbed up on him, and we took off riding, and went just went down a country road. And but every time I kind of let the reins loose on Zeke, he would start to just drift a little bit. If you ever ridden a horse, you know what I'm talking about. There is a tendency or a pull one way or another. And it's usually back to the barn to be with the friends and stuff. But the, the the horse naturally wants to go, and not given direction, not giving those constant cues and adjustments. Before long, he would be turned around, going back. And it's amazing how his pace picks up going back more so than it does going away. And it's really kind of a picture of the Christian life in many ways because we have this pull or this desire to go somewhere. And we fight that most of our lives. And there are things and needs that we have, and when the needs before us seem really good or enticing, we we move towards those needs, and when they don't, we kind of drift away. And John 6 really dissects that 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 whole issue. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. It's oftentimes called the bread of life passage or the bread of life section of Scripture. It happens in the in in, in about the middle of Jesus's earthly ministry. Later, or excuse me, the early middle part of his ministry, called the great popularity period of the of the Galilean ministry. It's a time when when the popularity of Jesus really began to rise, and multitudes of people were following Jesus. And oftentimes he would escape to the mountains just to get away and have a little peace and quiet. But it was during those times of the the great multitudes following Jesus that we get a little bit of insight into the nature of humanity and spirituality. We we get to take a little closer look at that drift or that the motivations for why people follow Jesus, at least outwardly. And in, in John chapter 6, it, it begins with the feeding of the 5,000. It's a, a very familiar passage. You remember the context. 
They were on the side of the Sea of Galilee, actually the northeastern side near the, near the uh, community of Bethsaida. And Jesus, this, this multitude of between five and 8,000 people were following Jesus. And there were 5,000 men, specifically they said, that he fed that day that were gathered on the side of the hill out of the five loaves and the two fish. And his disciples, after that, after that feeding of the 5,000, those people witnessing the miracle of, of, of getting this food, sitting down in, in groups of, uh, of, of 50 and, and, and 100 groups there, gathered together, sitting down and, and distributing the bread and, and seeing that incredible miracle um, the disciples, Jesus retreated up the mountainside, and disciples got into the boat. And they, and they went towards the northwest four to five miles, maybe six miles, across the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And the, the multitude watched the disciples get into a boat and go across. And in the middle of the night, while it was dark, and Jesus was still in, in Bethsaida, a, a storm arose, and the waves started churning, and and the disciples were scared, and they looked out, and there's Jesus walking on the water. And we get that, that beautiful picture of Jesus seeing in the dark. Sometimes we think that our troubles and our trials are hidden from God, but they never are. John 6 is another reminder that Jesus looks into our lives and can see, even in the darkest moments when we feel isolated, and God is, seems to be nowhere around, that Jesus still sees us. He still sees us, and he's ready to come to us. He jumps in the boat. And then the text says immediately they're at the shore. Well, Jesus, the boat that he was in, was still sitting on the shore by Bethsaida. And the disciples, the multitude, began walking around the northern side. Some of them may have taken boats. But they get over the other side. They see the disciples' boats, but they don't see Jesus' boat. And they see Jesus. And the question comes, well, how did you get here? <laughs> well, I walked across the water. They saw the boat leave with the disciples, and here's Jesus with the disciples. Like Immediately this question rises in their mind. They scratched their heads, and in John 6, 26, Jesus says this. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So this multitude says, how did you get here? He said, you're seeking me. Not because you saw the signs that I did that point to me being the Messiah, the answer to life's need, the answer to eternity, the fulfillment and promise of all of Scripture. You didn't seek me because of that. You, seek, you sought me because you ate the loaves and you were filled. What a huge insight into the motivation of why people follow Christ. What a huge insight into the reason why some people tag along. Because I need to see what Jesus will offer me for this life. I need a companion to go through this life. Let me be careful to say there's nothing wrong. Jesus promises to be a companion and to walk through this life with you. Make no mistake about that. But Jesus is making a discernment between those who follow for the wrong motives and those who follow for the right motives. And John 6 unfolds this whole, this whole question beautifully. What's the right motivation to follow Jesus? What's the authentic followers? And so Jesus is really saying to those disciples, I'm really not interested in a relationship like that. 
I want to be the center of your life, not an ornament. I want to be the director of your life, not an entertainer of your life. They had, in, in, in a sense, traded the essential for the urgent. What they thought was essential, having food to eat, um, or excuse me, the, having eternal life, they wanted food to eat. They wanted the comfort of Christ without the cross of Christ. We're going to see that they wanted physical comfort ahead of spiritual conversion. They wanted the provisions of Christ without the profession of faith or belief in Christ. They wanted the bread for their lips, but not the bread of life. You could put it that way. Jesus entered the synagogue in Capernaum. And in verse 41 of John 6, he says this. It says there, the Jews complained about him because Jesus said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? It's a legitimate question, isn't it? In the rational minds, they understand Jesus was the one who grew up in the home of of Mary and Joseph. And now he's telling us he came from heaven? Which one is it? Our eyes have seen that, that he grew up in that home. We didn't see him come down from heaven. We saw him born as a child, raised, grew up in a home in Nazareth. And now he's claiming that he came from heaven. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, verse 47, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Jesus says this idea of the bread from heaven is is not about physical food. It is about eternal life. I am the giver of eternal life. I am the one who, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I was talking to a a young boy one time and asked him, said, can God do anything? And he smiles and says, yeah, God can do anything. Really? Can God do anything? He goes, yeah, God can do anything. It's really, I said, do you know John 3, 16? Of course, a lot of kids do. Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I said, good. I said, did you get it? That verse tells you three things God can't do. Like what? Yeah. I said, you just, you just gave me three things God can't do. He said, what are they? He said, the first is that he says he cannot love you more than he already loves you. For God so loved the world. I think sometimes we miss how passionately in love God is with you, with your soul, with your life, with your heart. The Bible says God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love, his passionate love for us. God wanted to reconcile a sinful world to himself because God enjoys fellowship with us. He created us to bring glory to him and to have fellowship with him. And he made a way to to bridge the sin gap. 
that separated us. I said the second thing is, is um, that you, you said that God cannot do is he, he cannot give you more than he's already given you. He said he gave his only begotten son. That's the second thing God can't do. He can't love you more than he already loves you. He can't give you more than he has already given you. And the third thing is he cannot make it easier than he's already made it. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God does not make eternal life difficult. Eternal life is on the basis of faith. We believe in, the, in who Jesus Christ is and, and the sacrifice that he has made for our sins. And by believing, we receive the bread of life. And that's exactly what he's saying in John 6. He says in verse 47, Most assuredly, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth in me has everlasting life. Not he that believes and goes to church. Not he that believes and raises his hand. Not that he that believes and writes a check. That's the difference between biblical Christianity and religion. Jesus says, trust, trust in me. And religion says, trust in yourself, do good works, try your best. Religion offers you a hope-so salvation, biblical Christianity a no-so salvation. And and, and it's distinguishing that from religion. Jesus says, I am the center of belief. I am the object of faith. And he's presenting himself. I am the one, the bread of heaven, who has come down to bring eternal life. What a beautiful picture Jesus gives of himself to the people who are more concerned about, boy, I wish I could have lunch today. And isn't that true for our own lives as well? Oftentimes we become so concerned about the little things in life rather than the eternal things. And it's easy, believe me, I'm the same way. I get focused on things that are temporal rather than things that are eternal. Things that are going to pass away rather than things that last forever. Like the word of God and relationships and, and winning people to Christ. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Oh, the Jews understood that. They saw the provision of God, the manna that came down from heaven every evening, every night, and was there in the morning, white and round and, and, uh, and, and, and filled the provision of their needs. And, and, and they're thinking that, that somehow this is the same thing. And Jesus says, no, no, that's a picture of who I am but the people who ate that manna still died, but those who, who partake of me will never die. And there's the difference. There's the distinction. Verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now this, at this point, they're having a problem. Because the mind can't wrap themselves around the fact this is the son of Mary and Joseph. And how does he say he is now the bread of, of, of heaven? And, and, the, and the point is, is that my mind can't understand it, therefore it must not be true. How many of us can understand the incarnation? I mean, really. And, and does our ability to interpret it rationally or understand it rationally make it right or make it true? God's truth isn't dependent upon my ability to understand it. God's truth is static. It stands true all the time. It doesn't become true when I believe it. 
It's still true whether I believe it or not, understand it or not, can accept it or not. And I think Brett made that very, very clear. That's the point. God's truth is eternal. And so many people are, are concerned. You know, well, I'm, I'm going to drift away because I don't, I don't like what this has had. I'm not talking about drifting to a different church or different assembly. There's reasons why we do that. Could be preferences in worship style. Could be preferences in, in teaching style. Could be preferences in, 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 in personalities. There's a lot of reasons why people. Could be because of family members. There's a lot of reasons why. Well, we're talking about drifting from Jesus. Drifting from truth. That's what we're talking about here. And um, these people are, are drifting or not adhering to Jesus as a stumbling block because they can't understand them. They can't figure out how this works. It's easier for 5,000 to get 5,000 men to eat a loaf of bread than it is to get 5,000 men to eat the bread of life. I find that to be true in our world today, too. We're oftentimes, you know, so quick to gather f- together for the wrong reasons. But when it comes to spiritual truth, when it comes to discerning things from the Word of God, people are less likely to want to gather together. And Jesus is going to is going to separate this whole chapter into two groups of people. Those that receive the bread of life and those who don't. Verse 54, excuse me, 53. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Well, that's a hard saying, isn't it? That's a hard saying. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God... And drink his blood, you have no life. It's really a metaphor of believing, is what this is. He's saying this is the same metaphor of belief. To eat the flesh of the Son of God and to drink his blood is not to literally eat his flesh or literally drink his blood. There are some religions that will look at this passage like here, and this is where they get the idea that says we must crucify Jesus over and over and over and over again through the through the communion. And this 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 cup turns into the blood, and this bread turns into the body, and we are eating the literal body of Jesus and drinking the literal blood of Jesus. Therefore, we have eternal life. And they're missing the point of John 6. If you get that, it's not from here, because this is a metaphor. And Jesus says that believing in me is the same as consuming my flesh, the efficacy of my shed or my broken body, and drinking my blood, the efficacy of the shed blood for the remission of sins. That is the same, he says, as believing. And he makes that incredibly clear in this passage. He's already told them, whosoever believes in me has everlasting life. Then he says, whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in them. In other words, he said, this is why I'm the bread of life. This is why you need me more than a loaf of bread. You need me more than association with the church. You need the Savior You need faith in Jesus alone. Verse 55, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Again, it's through belief. And this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he, 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 he who eats his bread will live forever. 
And so Jesus is beginning to separate those who reject that message of the bread of life and those who accept it. This is the characteristics. Look in verse 60. This is the result of the gospel. Then many of his disciples, and that word disciple is a broad word that includes anyone who is under the teaching of Jesus. The multitudes followed Jesus to listen to the teaching. Did that make them believers? No. Following Jesus and listening to his teaching does not make you a believer. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, makes you a believer. Faith in Christ alone. But not this listening to the teaching. Should you listen to the teaching? Absolutely. But by listening to teaching, listen, Christianity is not like it it is in school. You don't get an A for answering all the right questions of the test. That's not how it works. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Wow. It's so simple. Right. But he says in verse 60, Therefore many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? So we have this group of unbelieving disciples here. In in verse 60, they did not believe because they did not understand. This is a hard saying, who can understand it? They're caught up in the illustration of the bread of life. I, I don't understand it, therefore it must not be true. How many of you actually understand the mysteries of God? I don't. I've read through the Bible multiple times, study the word of God, Greek and Hebrew and, 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 and the original language. I understand it. But I don't understand the mysteries of God. And God doesn't call me to. I'm not God. So oftentimes we want this rational response intellectualism we want to be able to to understand these things and and we can't they used reason and not faith or rationalism following jesus without faith makes pretty good sense up to a point i mean a lot of people do he's a good moral teacher he teaches right versus wrong he has a good example he's a servant there's a lot of reasons people are attracted to the teaching of jesus even people that are professing unbelievers. No, I don't believe he's the Messiah. I don't, I don't believe he's the Savior of the world. I just like, he's a good, good teacher. An, incre- an incredible human being. We need more people like him. And so there is a rationalism about following Jesus that makes sense. But I want to tell you something. It doesn't make sense to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's a hard saying. And that's what they're saying here. This doesn't make sense to me. Therefore, I'm going to reject it. If, listen, if you're waiting, if you're waiting for some to understand all the mysteries of God before you put your faith in Christ, it'll never happen. And I'm not saying that belief is some, some unintelligible leap of faith. I think it's actually a very good response to the revealed word of God is to trust Christ. But a lot of people have a lot of reasons for not doing that. There's a lot of reasons why people stop short. It's like, you know what, I, I can't understand, therefore I, I, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't fit into my paradigm or my narrative of life, therefore I'm going to reject it. As these disciples did. 
part of that multitude. And I think it was a major part of that multitude. They couldn't understand it, therefore they just said, you know what, it's just, I, I just can't get that. There was an intellectual disconnect based upon rationalism. It's really a pretty shallow faith, isn't it, though? If we have to understand everything, the question is, what about people who don't have the capacity to understand something? And there's, see, that's where with Christianity, there's not a, it's not a test. It is faith in Christ that begins that relationship. Rationalism is always based on reason. The second thing we see, look at verse 61. When Jesus knew it himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? They complained and it offended them. <laughs> There's a lot of people offended with the gospel, isn't there today? Oh, it's offensive. It's, it's narrow-minded to think that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by... Couldn't, couldn't it be more, more acceptable to have many ways? Can't everyone decide their own faith? Can't everyone just come up with their own pattern, their own way? That's a popular thing. And, and, and friends, you know what? We could wish it was true, but that doesn't make it true, does it? It's not true. Something's not true because we think it's true or we can explain it or we wish it was. We have to rest somewhere in this life on some body of truth, whether it comes from us, whether it comes from our, our, our friends or family, our community, our state, our country, our political affiliation, or it comes from God. We ha- everyone rests somewhere. And I'm saying that this, that I would much rather rest on a revealed body of truth that has stood the test of time and that claims to be from God and is, and, is, and is backed up by a person who said, I come down from heaven, and I'm giving my life, and I'm going to raise it again, and it happened. I'll put my trust there. But some, for some people, it's because they do not believe because the truth offends them. The, I, the word complain really in verse 61 means to secretly confer together like a cooing of doves. <laughs> if that doesn't sound like the, the political police or, or uh, verbal police today, I don't know what it is. Let's just get together and talk about this and see if this sounds good and feels good for us. Like that makes it true or right? That's foolishness. That's the idea of complaining. The word offend, scandalizo, is the Greek word. It means to get a, one's foot caught in something. It, it, it trips you up. It's like you're running down the road and, and, you, and you trip on something and, and smack yourself in the face. That's what happened to them. Oh, we're, we're doing really good following Jesus until you got to the hard part about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. That doesn't sit well with me. Bam, flat on their face. And that's true in our conversations with people about Jesus today, isn't it? Whether it's our neighbors or extended family or the people in the world. It's like, I can take Jesus up to a certain point, but the dying on the cross and shedding his blood and raising it, that's, that's it. I, that's too much for me. Like someone had to die, someone had to shed their blood for me. That's Neanderthal. That's not right. No, that's God's plan. I didn't come up with it. I only read the scriptures. And the shedding of, of, of Christ's blood paid the sacrifice for our sins so that our relationship with the Heavenly Father could be restored and initiated. But sometimes truth is, offend, is offending. And he even goes on in verse 62, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? 
Like, you think it's bad that I must, you're going to trust in my, in my body and my blood for salvation? But what would happen if I told you I'm also going to arise and ascend to heaven? Oh, time out. You've gone way too far now. That's what he's saying there. You know, what is it that if, if you should do that? So the truth, the truth offended them. In verses, uh, in fact, you know, it really reminds me that, that this group of people here were, uh, were attracted to miracles, not truth. They loved the miracle of, uh, of turning the, the loaves and the fish into, into enough food to feed 5,000. They wanted some kind of something that they would do. Look at, in fact, look back at verse 30. I didn't read this. But in chapter 6, verse 30, this is the same group. They said to him, let me back up to verse 29. What shall we do that we may see the works of God? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Okay, that's the work of God. You want to believe in God? This is the work of God. Believe in Jesus. They said to him, verse 30, what sign will you, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? Or what work will you do? I was like, can you do a trick for us? Just do something. Miracles attract people. They do. We saw that. In, we see that in the New Testament. We see it in life. People are attracted to some miracle that God does. And, and there's a lot of faith built around these miracles. But I, I, but I found this in Scripture and in life. Miracles attract people, but it doesn't change people. Truth changes people. Miracles attract, and truth changes in one way, another way, we could say that, you know, if you are here and you have put your trust in Christ and he's, he's given you a new identity in Christ and you've been born again, you've passed from death and life. Listen, that's a great miracle. That's an incredible miracle. And has God done a miracle in your life? Yeah. When he saved you, it was a miracle. It was a miracle you could ever get saved. It's a miracle I could ever get saved. And, uh, and, and that's an incredible miracle. But for the most part, miracles are... are are really, in, in, in the New Testament, miracles are a picture that authenticated Jesus as Messiah, that the one we're to believe in. They pointed to the, the one who was spirit-anointed, the Messiah, to identify him. Not to attract people, but to say, this is the one that we're to believe in. He is our Messiah. Number three, they didn't believe because they didn't understand. They didn't believe because truth offended them. And thirdly, they did not believe because they were not alive. Verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you, what? Who do not believe. Who do not believe. And there is the distinction that divides the world between those who believe and those who don't. Scripture looks at two classes of people. Those who are saved and those who are lost. Those who believe and those who have yet to believe or have rejected. He said, it's the spirit that gives life. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe him and who would betray him. Verse 65, therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. And so the the Holy Spirit draws and enables us to believe upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Our eyes are opened up to the truth of the gospel through the testimony of the word of God. And someone shares with us Jesus and what he has accomplished for us 
and the necessity to believe in him, and we respond by faith and say, I believe. A natural process in so many families of children coming to faith in Christ. But these people did not believe because they were not alive. They were blind. 2 Corinthians 4 says that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers lest they believe the glorious truth of the gospel, that lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine on them. How does the Spirit do that? Through you, through you, through your testimony, through your witness, through your words, through the songs you sing, through the testimony of your life, through your prayers. The Spirit works in the heart of people. And they, they turn to faith in Christ. It's not what happened here, though, is it? Look at verse 66. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. There's the drifting. There's the pulling away. This is too much. I can't do this. Why do people, why do people drift? They either don't find, or in some cases they find, immediate answers to their problems. For some people, they come to Jesus and the idea of Jesus and they pray and they got something going on in their life, a bad diagnosis from the doctor. I need the Lord. And perhaps God works through that situation. It's like, okay, great. I'm good. I got it. I'm on my own now. Thank you. If I ever need you again, I'll call. And so they drift. Or for others, they, they don't get the answer in this life. And they don't understand. Is it, is it not all about this? Is it all about my experience now? Is this all there is? If this is all there is, and I seek God and I don't get an answer for it, I understand, you know, I'm going to drift. Well, that didn't work. I believed in Jesus, quote unquote, and I didn't get an answer to my prayer, so now I'm going to go away. That's one of the reasons people drift. I've, I've talked to people. You know, I've been a follower of Jesus, and I've read his word, and I've witnessed to people, and I've taught my children, and, and this didn't happen, therefore he's not good for me. Or perhaps it's like, you know what? The church is just full of hypocrites. Come and join us. I always tell people, listen, you know what? There's a boat floating on the ocean to the shore of eternal life. And I can tell you what, there are people in the boat that really irritate me, and they do you too. People who are genuinely in the boat. But I want to tell you something, it's not the fault of the boat. Don't blame it on the boat. The boat's going to arrive on the shore. You stay on the boat. And those people that are drowning in the waters beside them, you continue to cast your, your nets and reach them and pull them in. You pull them into the boat full of people that that detest you sometimes, but you stay focused and you stay on that boat. It's not the problem. The boat's not the problem. Jesus is not the problem. Biblical Christianity is not the problem. It's inhabited by people who are still sinful and make wrong choices. But it's not the problem of Jesus, not the problem of the boat. It's going to to the far shore. Another reason why. For some, 
significant others quit following, you know, a, a family member, a spouse who has been the anchor of the family just says, you know what, I'm, I'm giving up. And the other family members do too. It could be a parent or whatever. For some, it's just behaviors. They've, they've gotten into a pattern of behaviors. And we know Christianity has this, this non-spoken code of things you can do and can't do. Even though the, the, the essence is believing in Christ, the word of God has standards that we follow. And if by choice or, or peer pressure or whatever else we begin making poor choices, there's a sense of shame or disconnect that pushes us off to the side. And before long, we're drifting over and over and over. And the voice of God in our own minds becomes more silent. And we begin to fade. And people just drift off. There's a number of reasons why people begin to drift in this life. And for the disciples here, it's just too much for us. We, we can't. We can't understand it. It's too hard and we don't believe. And so they followed him no more. Then Jesus looked at his disciples. You want to go too? You want to join the crowd? Go ahead. You want to go too? Don't you just love the response of Peter? Lord, where will we go? Lord, to whom will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Take your choice. Take your choice. You want to reject Jesus? Give me the next best choice. To whom will you go? Yourself? Your community? Your country? Your party? Whatever? Give me the best option you have. Who else has the words of eternal life? To whom will we go, Lord? Don't you love this? When the battle's hard, I want you to ask the question, to whom shall I go? When you have the tendency to drift, I want you to ask yourself, to whom will I go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who else rose from the dead? Who else offered his life for me? Who else promised to walk with me through the valley and the mountains as we just sang today? It's Jesus. It is only Jesus. To whom shall we go? They were convinced in their hearts and their minds. We have also come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow! What an incredible exclamation and proclamation of faith. In the midst of a crowd, a multitude walking away, it'd be so tempting for the twelve to go to. I mean, listen, the multitude's going away, let's just join them. There's such a desire for us to be part of the herd and here we see, here we see him saying, you know what, we're just gonna we're gonna stay. Because no one else has the words of eternal life. Jesus is alone as the Holy One of God. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. In fact, Buddha never existed. Muhammad is dead. Baha'u'llah is dead. 
Guru Nanak is dead, Mahariva is dead, Joseph Smith is dead, Mary Baker Eddy is dead, L. Ron Hubbard is dead, Sung Mood is dead, Anton LaVey is dead, Rahishness is dead, Mark L. Prophet is dead, but Jesus is alive. You pick the prophet whom you will serve. I will serve Jesus and I will follow him and I will commit my eternal destiny to him. When you have a tendency to fade, just remember who Jesus is and who he claims to be and, and the promises that he makes to you. Whom shall you go? To whom shall you go? You are the one with the words of eternal life. Father, thank you so much that in a world of plurality that you have given your son the singular place of giving the gift of eternal life and it's through faith alone in Christ alone. And we thank you for that today. For we pray in the blessed name of our risen Savior, Jesus, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.